If you have your Bible, turn into Matthew chapter 5, and I hope today to wrap up um, kind of a series of messages. I started a few weeks back about the enemies that we face as God's people, and um, you know, we talked about the spiritual enemies that we face, and certainly spiritual warfare, and we looked at the um, armor of God and how we can fight that, and we looked at those who are uh, at ease, as the Bible would call them in Psalm 121, who that... uh, uh, they they make a laughing stock out of uh, God's people. They they persecute God's people. We looked at the three Hebrew children uh, who were persecuted uh, by King Nebuchadnezzar and how God stayed with them. But I want to look today, kind of how do how do we as God's people respond to our enemies? And um, you know, I think the Lord has a sense of humor. Do y'all? I mean, we have a sense of humor, so we had to get that from somewhere. And I think God has a sense of humor. Uh, I was reminded this week, and Sister Carol couldn't be here today, but she sent me a picture of the sign. Um, you know, her father got, was passed away, I guess, a few years ago, and she was taking care of him. And, uh, you know, it, I mean, if you've been in that situation, you know how it is. If you have aging parents, and, and you still have jobs, and you still have a life, but you've got to take care of them. And and I think she'd been up to his house to, to take care of him, and she was... Um, she was coming back, um, and, and it was just, she was flustered. Y'all ever get flustered? <laughs> I do. Um, and she had forgotten something, so she had to turn around, and she pulled into a church parking lot just to, just to sit for a second. And she looked up at the sign. It was one of these signs that you can, you know, they put a message out there. And I've got a picture of it, and the sign said, Jesus said, calm down, I've got this. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Um, but I believe God has a sense of humor. This week I was reading through the book of Matthew, and I was, in ver- I was on verse 37 of chapter 5, and, and I won't tell you which child, I won't incriminate anybody, but they've been playing with some neighborhood kids a lot lately, and, um, which is one of the good things, I guess, about the COVID thing. We get a lot more time outdoors and a lot more time to play. Um, but if I've heard this once, I've heard it a hundred times this week, so-and-so is throwing rocks at me. And I'd say, well, go back out there and say, please don't throw rocks at me, or just walk away, or just tell them you don't want to play right now. Well, about the hundredth time, the door swung open, and I'm reading my Bible, and I hear so-and-so's throwing rocks at me. And I looked up, and I said, well, grab a handful and throw them right back at him. (laughs) That was this week. I just read verse 37. And as I look back down to continue reading, I read this. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And I thought, God, you do have a sense of humor. And I don't know what happened with the rocks. I don't want to know. But they didn't come back again. I know that. I didn't hear about it again that day. You know, none of the sermons that I've ever preached here, I can honestly say, have been directed at anybody here. I've never said, Mark needs to hear this, so I'm going to preach this, or so-and-so needs to hear this. The majority of the sermons that I preach that have any kind of uh, call on you to do something or us to get better, generally, I would, say, I would say always, it's what Brother Josh needs to work on. And that's, so most of the time when you hear, we need to do this, or we need to get better at that, that's something that I need to work on. And certainly... Uh, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, if you leave that 
not convicted about your ways or about some of the things you do, uh, then you've probably got a problem. C.S. Lewis was asked, most of y'all have heard of him, if, if he cared for the Sermon on the Mount, his response to that was this, as to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if, if caring for here means liking or enjoying, I suppose that no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? <laughs> That's kind of what the Sermon on the Mount does to you, doesn't it? it? It puts before you this standard of discipleship, and the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon on discipleship, by the way. Y'all realize that Jesus is set in a mountain. His disciples come to him, and he begins to teach them about discipleship in this life. The Sermon on the Mount is not a sermon about how to become a child of God or how to get to heaven, as some people believe. It's a, it's a sermon about discipleship. It says, verse 1 says, In seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountains, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. He's teaching about discipleship here. And as we get to, the, to, to verse 43, we'll, I believe we'll see how we, as God's people, are to treat our enemies. Let's go to verse 43. It says, Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Uh, we're going to look at, at Jesus as he teaches us here how to treat our enemies because I believe, um, you know, if you look in the public square, whether it be politicians or, or whatever, I'm not here to blame anybody, we, we really don't do a good job. It's not our natural inclination when someone throws rocks at us to turn around and walk away. There's a part of us that lives in us that wants to grab a handful and throw them back, right? When someone says something mean about us, or we hear that someone has said something mean about us, our, our natural man wants to turn around and say something bad about them. <laughs> Somebody hurts us, we want to hurt them. But let's look at what Jesus says we should do. He begins by saying this, You have heard that it has been said. You know, we, we need to be real careful about the things we hear, right? You ever heard people say you need to be careful about what you read, what you watch? Um, Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, I believe he said, take heed what you hear. That's to be very careful about the things that you hear, the things that influence you, because they have an effect on you, right? The, everything that you watch, everything that you hear, everything that you read, everything that you come into contact has some kind of influence on you, whether it be good or bad. That's just common sense. Um, and, and there are many people, I believe, and, and you cannot if you believe it, there are many people in this world today, and there always have been, that are trying to influence you. There's many people that are trying to divide you. Um, you know, we, we see that there's, there, in our nation, and we've talked about churches being divided and nations being divided in the last few months. They're trying to divide us, and they're doing a good job of it. But we need to be careful who we hear, what we listen to. Churches will try to be divided. There's many people that spread hatred, that spread uh, 
misinformation. There's people that are, they're, they're out, the world is out for your mind, right? They want, they want to captivate your mind. We talked about this with Satan. Satan knows that he's been, his head has been crushed, he's been defeated. For the child of God, he can't win, he can't, he can't stop the fact that they've been saved by God, but he can influence their mind, Right? So there's a battle for the mind. Paul would talk about in the book of Romans, chapter 12, that you're, for which you renew our mind. Really the greatest battle that the Christian faces is in their mind, their own mind. And there's many people who are trying to influence your mind, influence your child's mind. We need to be careful about what our children hear. Do you all agree with that? We need to know what our children are hearing and know who are influencing our children. And, and there are many smart people in this world and very intelligent people in this world uh, who are very deceitful and very dangerous. They're very slick. You know, Satan is slick, isn't he? Satan, when he came to Eve, we reviewed that recently. He was very slick in the things he said and the things that he made, the, the, the things that were bad for us that he made look good. So we need to be careful about that. Um, you know, the world's opinions, I, I thought about this, the world's opinions are often wrong. Like the popular opinion is often wrong. Um, Jesus would say later in the Sermon on the Mount to enter in at the straight gate. He says, because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Brother Sam's told me that his dad would tell him, anytime you see a crowd, you better watch out. <laughs> you better figure out what they're doing. You better ask yourself, should I be joining in with them? Because it's a broad way that leads to destruction and a narrow way that leads to life and discipleship. Do you all understand that today? That's a good question to ask ourselves. When everybody's doing it, should we be doing it? You know, uh, Jesus asked this question in Matthew chapter 16. He said, whom do men say that I the son of man am? He asked his disciples that. Basically saying, what's the popular opinion about who I am? And the popular opinion was wrong. Do you all remember that? Well, some say you're this, some say you're that. Uh, I can remember one time uh, I was trying to convince my dad about something, and I said, I said, well, they say that whatever is good. And I'll never forget it. He responded, well, they say are the biggest liars I've ever met. <laughs> you ever know that? They say this or they say that. You better watch out about the, the they-sayers, right? Because they may, they may be wrong and probably are wrong. And so Jesus is telling his, his disciples here, you've, You've heard this. You've heard that you shall love your neighbor. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. Now this is true, right? That is a true statement, that we are called to love our neighbor. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, it says this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. That's not a new commandment. It's not something new that God's bringing up in this sermon. Uh, it, is, it has always been the call on God's people to love their neighbors. That's what we're, we're to be a people of love. God's people, the children of Israel would be a people of love. They were to love our neighbors and welcome the strangers. They were, they were a people of love. So he says, you've heard that you shall love your neighbors. That is very true. And then he says, you've heard you shall love your neighbors and hate or detest your enemy. Now notice he doesn't say, it is written, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You know, a lot of times, I believe, you'll look when, like when Satan was tempting him he would say it is written it is written now he's saying you've you've heard this because there's something about it that's not true and here's what's not true God never taught his people to hate your enemies this is not in scripture 
But you can't find that, that we're to hate our enemies. We're to be a people of love. You see, this was added, um, really this was added by the religious experts or the, or the commentary of the day. They had taught the people that, yeah, you're to love your neighbor, but you are to hate your enemy. You know, not only are we to look out for the they sayers, I believe, and I will warn you today, that we need to really watch out for the experts. How many times have we seen experts that are, you know, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not knocking. I'm a top fan of James Spann on Facebook. I'm not knocking weathermen, okay? But this is just a good example. Like, they can often be wrong, right? I spent the night at work one time because they were wrong, and I didn't go home, and it snowed. And it took me a long time to get over that, but I have. <laughs> I woke up the other morning, and I was going to go outside and exercise. And I looked on my weather app, and it said, no rain for at least 60 minutes. And I thought, this is good. And as I opened the door to go to my car, it was pouring down rain. <laughs> um, the experts can be wrong, right? The experts, sometimes they don't know what they're talking about. Y'all ever heard of a wild game supper? They have them at churches. They'll have like a dove and they'll have deer and elk. And it's, it's an event they put on a lot of times to get men to come in. And they'll have a speaker come in and speak to these people. I heard one time about a man. He was, a, he was an expert evangelist from Georgia. And he was going to speak at the wild game supper at the Fairhope Community Church in South Alabama. And so he leaves to make it to the wild game supper and he gets lost in Fairhope and can't find the church. He turned this way and that way. He never found it. So he stops at this convenience store and walks in to the cashier. And he says, do you have any idea how to get to the Fairhope Community Church? And the cashier says, yeah, that's easy. Just turn out of here. Get the second red light. Go left. You'll get to a stop sign. Turn right. It'll be right there in front of you. He said, oh, thank you. I'm going to be late. And as he hit the door, he turned to the cashier. And he says, hey, man, if you don't have anything going on tonight, I'm going to give a sermon down there tell you not only how to escape hell but how you can get to heaven and the cashier said I think I'll pass you can't even tell me how to get to the church <laughs> so that was the expert <laughs> Sonny Pyle said I've heard him say this many times in sermons some people are educated beyond their intelligence <laughs> um and I'm not saying that education is a bad thing by, by any means. I'm thankful for the education I have. But I do believe that people make an idol out of education. People make an idol out of the experts. You know, I, I heard a preacher one time, and he, he was not Primitive Baptist, but he, was, he had become very popular on like the, I guess you would call it the, the, the Christian conference scene because his church had exploded. It had gone from like 100 people to like 10,000 people in two years. And I thought it was, very, it was very intriguing what he said in this interview. He said, if my church had gone from 100 people to 110 people in 10 years, or in five years or whatever it was, he said, I would never be invited to a conference. He's preaching the same thing. He said, even if I was preaching the same thing and believing the same thing, I would have never been invited. And there's this whole really industry of, of people that we've created in America on these Christian experts. And I believe that can be dangerous because Jesus Christ used fishermen and tent makers and tax collectors and sinners to spread his gospel. He didn't use the religious elite among the world to spread his gospel. He used the common man. Do you all understand that today?
Do we understand? And it wasn't their degrees, it wasn't their education, it wasn't their qualifications that made people listen to them. It was the fact that they had been with Jesus. Listen to this. This is Acts chapter 4 and verse 15, verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? We, we need, I want to be the kind of person that somebody said, that, that person has been with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. He knows about Jesus. He has been with Jesus. That's, that's, we need to pray for more ministers that take time to just be with Jesus, right? That, that love Jesus and care about Jesus and want to spread the word of Jesus just like the apostles of old. So he says, you've heard that you're to, you're to, you're to love your, your neighbors but hate your enemies. Verse 44, he says, but I say unto you, and that's always a good question to ask. What does the Word of God say about it? So you can get a lot of opinions. Uh, let's talk about religious matters. There are opinions. I mean, you don't... Just go on YouTube. <laughs> uh, you can go on the Internet. You can see opinion after opinion after verse after verse or on this or on that. On all these religious subjects, there's thousands of opinions on it. But the only opinion I care about is what does God say about it? What about y'all? And that's what he's saying. He says, but I say unto you, this is what the, the religious elite, this is what the, your teachers are telling you, but I say unto you. And that's what we need to, that's what we need to care about. What does God say about it? You know, the, the Bible would say in Deuteronomy, and, and then uh, Jesus would repeat it, that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what we need to, to build. That's the foundation of our church. That should be the foundation of our lives. What does the Bible say about it? What does God say about it? And here's what he says. He says, I say unto you, love your enemies. This is what I say to you. The world says hate your enemies, but I'm telling you to love your enemies. Y'all ever heard people say that Christianity is just a crutch for weak people? I've heard them say that. Well, they've never tried to be a real Christian, right? Because let me tell you, when, it, when the rocks get thrown at you, it is hard not to retaliate, right? When somebody says something bad about you, it is much more difficult to walk away than it is to push forward and have your own way. Do we agree with that today? We are to love our enemies. And who are our enemies? He'll go on to say those who curse you, those who hate you, those who despitefully use you, those who persecute you. Those are your enemies. The enemies of God's people. And he says, what are we to do to them? We're to love them. That's amazing, isn't it? We're to love them. And what is, what is love? I know there's, a, there's a, a country song I heard recently. It said, I may not know what love is, but I know what it ain't. <laughs> what is love? Um, you know, there's, a, there's an idea that's popular in our world today that love is just, it's, it's really this. Love is just accepting whatever anybody wants or whatever. And I will tell you today, that's not love. Um, Love is not accepting or condoning or enabling sinful behavior. Y'all agree with that? Like if my kids, so at, so at our house, and we don't always, this has just kind of been our rule. You know, if you get a spanking, if you're, if you're disrespectful, if you're disobedient, or if you put yourself in danger. Like if I've told you, don't run in the road, and you run in the road, you've put yourself in danger, and I want to send the message that you don't need to do that, right? 
because it's not good for you to run in the road. But if my kids, let's say they, they jump up one morning, they say, we're going to go run in the road. And I say, well, that's just who they are. Right? That's just, I'm just going to love, that's just who they are. I'm not going to tell them it's dangerous to run in the road. I'm not going to discipline them for running in the road. What's going to happen to my kids? They're going to get run over, right? See, it's not loving to condone or enable people in sinful behavior. That's not, that's, that is not love. That's probably the exact opposite of love. James would say, uh, He which converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And I know it can be uncomfortable, to, and I've, I've never had to really do this, and I understand how uncomfortable it could be um, if it's a family member or something of that nature. Uh, but, but just to go on and say everything's fine is not love. That is not love, brothers and sisters. But here's what love is. Love is an act of the will. Y'all know that? That's why, that's why Jesus could say, uh, he could tell husbands to love your wives. And, and, and wives are to, to love their husbands. We know we're to love each other in the church. We're to lo- and we're not all the time lovable, are we? But he could say that you can do this because love isn't just some feeling that we have. Like in the movies, you know, people just fall in love. Or like high school boys and high school girls, they just fall in love. Or I guess that may be true of all generations. I don't know. But that's not true love is an act of the will. Jesus Christ showed what true love is, right? Where he, he decided, I'm going to love these people who are altogether unlovable. There's nothing about them that is lovely. It's, 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 a, it's a choice we make. Whether we agree with their behaviors or not, right, we can still love them. Listen to what Albert Barnes, he was a, a Presbyterian minister, and he commented on this. He said, there are two kinds of love. One is a feeling by which we approve of the conduct of another, commonly called the love of complacency. The other, that by which we wish well of the person of another, though we cannot approve of his conduct. This is the love of benevolence. It's a benevolent love. And this love we bear towards our enemies. It's impossible to love the conduct of a person who curses or reviles us, who injures our persons or property, or who violates all the laws of God. But though we may hate his conduct and suffer keenly when we are afflicted by it or affected by it, yet we may still wish well to the person. We may pity his madness and folly. We may speak kindly of him and to him. We may return good for evil. We may aid him in the time of trial, and we may seek to do him good. That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here today, a love where we decide that we're going to be kind and benevolent and merciful and graceful even to those kind of people that we don't agree with or that may be trying to do us harm. That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. So what does this look like? He goes on in in verse uh, 40, let's see, in verse 44. He says, bless them that curse you. That is to speak well of those people who wish evil upon you. Now that is hard, isn't it? People who don't want good things for us, it's hard to say something good about them or just to be kind to them. We don't see this in, like, we don't see this in society, do we? Have you ever been on social media? You don't see that on social media. You know one thing you can do? 
if you can't say something good about somebody, you can just say nothing, right? That's, that's, a, that's probably good advice. To, he says you're to bless them. Now, if you think Christianity is a crutch, just keep listening to this. Bless those people that curse you. Then he says this, do good to them that hate you. Those people that have extreme ill will for you, that have an aversion to you, your enemies, he says you are to do good unto them. You know, in Galatians, I believe it's chapter 6, the Apostle Paul would say that we are to, when we have opportunity, we're to do good unto all men. And he says, especially them of the household of faith. We're to do good unto all men. The Bible would say that we were created for good works. We were created to do good. That's what it would say in Ephesians chapter 2. And so here Jesus Christ is saying the same thing. You're to do good to them that hate you. You know, in Acts chapter 10, the Peter is preaching, and he sums up Jesus' life by saying this. He says, he went about doing good. That's an amazing statement about Jesus, isn't it? That everywhere he went, he went about doing good. He went about encouraging people, speaking well of people. Now, look, he didn't condone sin, just like we talked about earlier. There were times when he called out sin, but he went about doing good. He was, he was, a, he was a, a, a do-gooder. He was doing good everywhere that he went. And so Jesus says, you're to do good to them that hate you. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. It says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. That's hard to do, isn't it? We want to seek our own vengeance. And here, here the Spirit of God says, Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me tell you, I, I, my wife could testify that I, I struggle with it. When I watch the news, or I watch what's going on in our country, um, and, and I believe there are forces at work who are out to destroy our way of life. The people here, conservative Christians, there are forces in our nation that are out to destroy our way of life. And I believe we should do all we can to avoid that. But boy, I get angry. Sometimes I'm overcome by the evil I see. And... That's just a personal, any of y'all struggle with that? Y'all looking at me like, I'm the only one. <laughs> That's a personal fault that I have. Guess what? I'm not perfect <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. But as the Holy Spirit says here through the Apostle Paul, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. What if the evil that we see in our world would motivate us just to be better people, to do more good? That would probably do a lot better than me sitting around fussing to my wife about how bad things are, right? If it encouraged me. What if I said, yeah, there are people who their life's mission is to make it legal and acceptable that you can kill children in the mother's womb at any time. What if I saw that and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to volunteer at the pro-life center down the street because I'm going to overcome evil with good. 
What if I said, yeah, there are people uh, who, who I believe who are trying to ban uh, the Word of God not only from our schools, but they'd love to ban it from our country, that it would be deemed as hate speech. What if I said, I'm going to overcome that by reading my Bible every day? How many times do we fuss about people who are taking the Bible out of school or trying to get the Bible out of our life, and we don't even read it every day? <laughs> that's, kinda, that's, that's convicting to me. It should make us want to overcome that evil with more good by doing things that are good. Proverbs 25, verse 21 through 22 says about the same thing. If your enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. That's an interesting statement. He says, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I, this does not mean that we're going to induce some kind of uh, judgment from God, I believe, to harm these people uh, in, in any way. But basically, I believe what he's saying is when you, when you repay someone who's doing you evil with good, it can prick the conscience of that person who is doing evil to you to think about their ways. If you just respond with more evil, it's just going to dig them back into their position. And you're going to be dug into your position. But when you repay good for evil, there's a, there's a possibility that that person's conscience is going to be pricked that they may not retaliate back to you in a harmful way that they could, and possibly they may feel bad about the things they have done. Have you, have you ever done evil to someone and they retaliate to you in a kind way and you think, man, I feel very bad about what I just did to those people? Anybody ever done that? None of y'all? Traffic? <laughs> Long lines? <laughs> we've all done it. We've, 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 we have retaliated in a way that we should not. And when people come back to us like, you know, I'm sorry, brother. Or, I, I, you know, they respond in a good way. It makes us feel bad, doesn't it? I believe it was in June of 2012. I wrote the statement down. This could get an amen. How many of y'all like chicken sandwiches from Chick-fil-A? <laughs> I do. And chicken nuggets and fries and... Milkshake. I like everything there except for the kale salad. I'm not into that, but pretty much everything else I like. I had a chicken biscuit from there yesterday. Dan Cathy's the CEO. He said this in 2012. I think we are inviting God's judgment on our nation when we shake our fist at him and say, we know better than you as to what constitutes a marriage. I pray God's mercy on our generation that has such a prideful, arrogant attitude to think that we have the audacity to define what marriage is about. I agree with that statement from Dan Cathy. I saw him speak one time at a, at a men's conference, and he was talking about the, the mindset they put into the, the people at Chick-fil-A. And I know there's, probably, there's a lot of bad people probably work at Chick-fil-A. There's probably good people that work at Chick-fil-A. But he said, I run the largest megachurch in the world. <laughs> And it's called Chick-fil-A. <laughs> he wanted to do good to people. And, you know, they're closed on Sundays, and I appreciate that about them. Uh, but that statement that he made, y'all probably remember this, it led to a big boycott of Chick-fil-A from liberal and leftist organizations and pro-LGBTQ people and all that. Um, and, and they called that hate speech. To, to stand for what human history has said is marriage for 2,000 years or 6,000 years or 8,000 years, to, 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 just to say that's what we believe marriage is was deemed hate speech and there was a boycott of their business. Um, and then on, um, on my birthday, I remember this, in 2016, 
in Orlando, Florida. We were, uh, Carrie and I were driving back from the church in Clanton. There was a, there was a mass shooting at a, at a, it was called the Pulse Nightclub where some wicked things went on. And there was, I think there's like 50 people killed. That was four years after Dan Cathy made that statement. On a Sunday, there was a mass shooting at this, this nightclub for alternate lifestyles. And you know what Chick-fil-A did? They opened up on Sunday. They cooked the chicken nuggets. They cooked the fries. They cooked the sandwiches. They got the drinks, and they went down to the nightclub, and they fed the first responders, and they fed the people that were given blood. They fed the people that were harmed. And you know, there was very few people that could say anything bad about Chick-fil-A that day because they were putting into practice what Jesus is preaching here, that we're to do good to them who want to do bad to us. Let me tell you something. That's hard, brothers and sisters, but it's not impossible with the help of God. He says this, We are to pray for them which despitefully use you, that is to treat you abusively, and we're to pray for them which persecute you, that is harass or trouble you, I mean, how many of you have ever felt like you've been used by somebody? You know, there's some people that are just addicted to using other people. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a coworker, whatever it is. Maybe it's a teacher, a coach. He says there's people who are going to treat you abusively. They're going to abuse you. They're going to use you. There's people that are going to persecute you. And Brother Josh's response many times would be like, throw the rocks back at them. <laughs> but here's what Jesus says. He says, pray for them. Pray for them. You know, it is impossible, I believe, to be really upset with someone if you're on your knees begging God to bless them and to help them and maybe to show them the error of their ways. He says, you are to pray for them which despitefully use you, which persecute you, which harass you. So if you're, maybe you are mad at a spouse or, a, or a, a, a fellow co-worker or church member or friend or loved one, a preacher or a politician, Whatever it is, and maybe you are mad at them. Maybe the best thing you could possibly do is to pray for them. And maybe it won't change them, but I bet you it could change you. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're to pray for them which use you. Pray for them which persecute you. And then I'm going to close. We'll, we'll run through these, but with what, what I believe six reasons, really, that we should do this. Because this is counter to our nature to love our enemies, to make the choice that we're going to do good to those that persecute us, that we're going to pray for those that abuse us. And you say, why? And that's really the first reason is because God said so. <laughs> How many of y'all got kids that, or you, when you had kids, they, you would say, do this, and, and the question is, why? <laughs> why? And look, curiosity is good. I want to know why things are the way they are. But have you ever, I've given this answer, because I said so. <laughs> Like, I don't have time to explain it, and you don't need an explanation. Do it now. A lot of times we do that to God, don't we? God says to do this, and we say, why? Why should we do that? Why, why is this? You know, I've heard if, 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 if God knows everything that's going to happen from the end of the beginning, why do we pray? Well, you could, that's, that's an interesting statement, and you could, we could talk a lot about that. But here's the, here's the best reason. God told you to pray. So pray. Why should we love our enemies if they're persecuting us, if they're hating us, if they're using us and they're abusing us? Because God told you to do it. The second reason, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, and verse 45. The next verse says that you, may be, that you may be identified as God's children. He says, 
that you're to do this. Pray for those that despitefully use you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now, he's not saying if you'll pray for these people that somehow you'll, you know, you'll, you'll be saved, you'll become my child. But he's saying, if you'll do these things, you will reflect the image of God in your life. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. You don't have to turn there, but he says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. There's this power given to these people that believe on Jesus' name that they may become the sons of God, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And, and that's a very important verse because it's telling you these people that believe on his name, uh, they weren't born by a decision they made or by a prayer they prayed. They were born again uh, by a decision that God made. It says they were born of God. But it says they had the power, they had the authority. You, child of God, have the same thing. You have the authority to become the, the, the sons of God. That word become means to arise, to appear in history, or to come upon the stage as a child of God. Basically what he's saying is the world is looking at you like you're on a stage. Imagine that you're watching a play, and you have the ability within you, if you will do the things that he says to do and follow the, 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 the way of life that he says to live, that you will walk onto the stage of life as one who is identified as one of his children. Don't y'all want to go to your grave where people say, that was a child of God. That was, you, you will manifest that you are his child. He says, for he makes, this is God, makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And it is true that God's, for God's elect, there is a discriminating love that he has for them. That, and they will be the only ones in heaven. I believe it's a number that no man can number out of every kindred, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. The true doctrine of, of, of election and predestination and, and the things that we hold dear. Listen here, child of God. They will get, it gets more people into heaven than any other doctrine that you will have in this life. But it's, it is true that God does not love in everybody. God does not, he does not love with his discriminating, electing, sovereign, predestinating, saving love. He doesn't have that for everybody on this planet. But he does, it says, that he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust because he is a faithful creator. And you know, even the evil, wicked people that may be our enemies. Did you know not one of them has created oxygen that they could breathe? God did it. Not one of them created the rain that grows the food that they eat. God did that. God is faithful to his creation. And even, even, even the wicked, evil people in this world benefit from the providence and the provision of God. God is a, he is an awesome God, isn't he? When, when the sun comes up, do you ever think, I was, we were driving, we went to the beach uh, last weekend with Carrie's family, and, and I was driving down 65. I saw that sign, by the way, go to church or the devil will get you. I saw it as we were coming back. I said, Bo, there's your sign, and it's true. <laughs> but we were driving, and it was early, and the sun was, it was, it was starting to peak, and I could feel the heat from the sun through the window, and I thought, our God is a marvelous God, isn't he? That thousands of years ago, he creates this son that has been faithful to come up every day <laughs> and will be faithful until the world ends to come up 
every day. And I don't know exactly how far it is from me, but I know I could feel the heat from it as I'm driving down the road. Now, I love Alabama Power. They keep my lights on, but they can't create anything like the sun. And, and God just did that. And, and there's billions, trillions of possibly other stars out there in, in, the, in the Bible in some ways, it's like it has the audacity to say, and he created the stars also, like it is nothing. Our God is incomprehensible. Our, our God, if you talk about a Bible scholar or, or, or a Bible expert, there are none. The more you read the Bible, the more questions you have about the Bible. I've been, I've been trying to, to, to preach here for, I guess, five years, and, and sometimes I, I, I honestly believe I know less today than I knew five years ago. <laughs> I may have more knowledge, but I'm th- I have more questions. The more you read the Bible, the more questions you have. Our God is an awesome God. He's incomprehensible. But he says you have the ability. He's given you the power to, to step out on the world scene and be his children and reflect his image. Then he says this. Listen to verse 46. A third reason that, that we are to be different than the world. As disciples, he says, For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? He's basically saying, like, there are biker gangs that love each other, but they'd kill you. <laughs> but if one of them got sick, they'd bring them food, and they'd, they'd do the things we do for each other. It's not just that we love each other that, that reflects the image of God. It's that we love even our enemy. That reflects, the enemy, that reflects the image of God. Listen to verse 48. Here's another reason. It's, it's by doing this, by putting this into practice, is a means by which we mature as disciples. He says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You know, the goal of a disciple is to grow in Christian maturity. And so when you've had five years in the church, or ten years in the church, or fifteen years in the church, we should be more mature uh, than we were 15, 10, 5 years ago. That's, that's, one, of the, that's one, of the, um, it's one of the reasons that we have the ministry in Ephesians chapter 4. It says that you may grow up. That's really one of the things, that we may grow up as Christian people, that we may mature. And one of the ways to do that, you know, if you want to grow muscle or get faster, you have to, there has to be resistance. There has to be training, right? This is one of the things that we have to do. Even when it's hard, we can bless those that curse us and pray for those who use us and do good to those that hate us. And it is a means by which we mature into the Christian that God wants us to be. Here's two more. I'll close with the fifth reason. And I want you all to think about this. Your enemy may be a child of God. That boss that you despise, he may be redeemed by Jesus Christ. Um, you, you think about this, your enemy that you, may, that, you may, that you may despise and that you may not want to do good to, y'all may share the same Heavenly Father. A, a, bond, that's, that, a, a bond that all of God's children share. You know, Jesus said that it would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck than to defend, offend one of his little ones. We need to think about that. I need to think about that. When that person does cut you off, in traffic, you think, well, that may be, that may be one of God's little children. I, I, would, I would go as far as to say that probably is one of God's little children. 
Think about King Saul. We won't go into that, but, you know, David would never lay a hand on Saul because he was God's anointed. He was, he was one of God's children, and David wouldn't do it. And here's the sixth one. This is probably the best reason. When we reflect this, we're more like Christ. Do y'all remember when Jesus was being executed? And he looks out at the people who are performing his execution. And he knew everything about every one of them. Their deepest, darkest secrets. He could have from the cross said, before he died, he could have said, he could have said, Joe did this, Joe did that. He could have talked bad about them. He could have exposed their sin. He could have ruined their lives. He could have ruined their reputations. But you know what Jesus does? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the kind of love I want to have for my enemies. That's the kind of love Stephen had for his enemies. You say, I can't do it. That was Jesus doing it. Go read Acts chapter 8 tonight. There's your homework. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen to Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. It says, when we were enemies, we, that's me and you, Brother Vernon. (laughs) When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Even when me and you were at enmity with God, when we, all of us with our suit and our dress and, and and we're here to worship God, when we were enemies, when we hated Him, when we despised His Word, when we didn't love His ways, when we were enemies with Him, He reconciled us to God by His death. He gave of Himself for us, wicked enemies to Him, that we would be brought into fellowship with Him and relationship with Him, that we would live with Him forever. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, Love thy neighbor, for in, doing, for in so doing thou art following in the footsteps of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings of this life. We thank you, God, for your word where it confronts us with our sin. And, and, and may we not draw back from it, but, but push into it and with your help become more of your children. God, the world needs more disciples. The world needs more godly men and women uh, to, to stand for your ways, to follow in your ways to love their, their neighbor, even love their enemies. And, and we know that you've given us the power and the opportunity to follow you in that. And where it will be hard, we ask that you strengthen us. And may we cling to the fact that with you all things are possible and that all things that you've called us to, you will enable us by your Holy Spirit to do. We ask that you'll open doors uh, in, in Vestavia Hills, in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, that, that we would come into contact with people whose heart you've opened, people who are searching for the truth of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that we may lovingly and kindly uh, spread your gospel uh, throughout this region and that you would bless uh, our church to grow. We pray for our nation, uh, for the virus that continues to to spread, that you would bless the, the doctors and the researchers and the people who work uh, on, on cures to stop it, that you would, that you would bless the, the people who implement the public policy that we put in place uh, as a means to, to stop this virus, but that you would ultimately, God, we don't trust in them. We trust in you. 
and that you would help us uh, see us through it. I pray for the election that's coming up so soon, God, that you would intervene on our behalf, that you would, despite whoever's elected, that you would bless our nation. God, I don't understand why you would bless a country that, that has so turned from your ways, a, a nation that you so obviously blessed uh, to create in this world a place that, that, that you blessed to have religious liberty and freedom, and we have thumbed our nose at you, but be merciful to us. God, that's our only hope is your mercy, that you would be merciful to our nation, merciful to our families, merciful to our church, and that you would bless us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Joshua, do you have a song you'd like to sing? And um, Sing number 245. We'll stand and sing. And at this time, if you would like to unite with this church, um, we'll give you the opportunity. If you'd like to be baptized and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, you can do that today.